Are the people most opposed to Donald Trump actually aiding his election? I'm Michael Smirconish in Philadelphia. Tuesday is the New Hampshire primary. The GOP race in the Granite State, thought to be a two-person affair, Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. If Trump becomes the first non-incumbent Republican to win both the Iowa caucus and an open New Hampshire primary, he will be the de facto nominee of his party. But New Hampshire could prove more hospitable for Haley. It's less evangelical and home to more libertarians and independents. So Haley is all in. And so too are many institutional forces which see time running out to stop Trump. But are some of those efforts backfiring? Mark Halpern in his Wide World of News newsletter regularly chronicles this phenomenon, which he calls the sad irony of those members of the media and the Democratic Party who most worry about a Trump second term acting in ways that actually make it more likely he will win. Here's an example. On Monday, MSNBC had the kind of all-night extensive coverage of the Iowa caucus that we've come to expect of cable outlets. But when it came time for Trump to make his acceptance speech, the network didn't air it. Instead, Rachel Maddow said this. At this point in the evening, the projected winner of the Iowa caucuses um, has just started giving his victory speech. Uh, we will keep an eye on that as it happens. Uh, we will let you know if there's any news made in that speech, if there's anything noteworthy, something substantive and important. Um, the reason I'm saying this is, of course, there is a reason that we and other news organizations have generally stopped giving an unfiltered live platform to remarks by former President Trump. It is not out of spite. It is not a decision that we relish. It is a decision that we regularly revisit. Um, and honestly, earnestly, it is not an easy decision. By the way, CNN did take Trump's speech live for about the first 10 minutes before getting out. Ignoring Trump's electoral success is a way of putting a thumb on the scale and will redound to his benefit. It also sets a poor precedent. If he wins the Republican nomination, will some cover the convention, but not his acceptance speech? If he wins the presidency, will there be a blackout on the inauguration? I doubt Trump would have won over the MSNBC audience. His base was watching elsewhere. But of course, they've been made aware of the slight, and it will now be added to their festivus of grievances against institutional forces they see as seeking to deny voters a chance to elect Trump. And at the top of that list are states like Colorado and Maine trying to knock Trump off the ballot by asserting that he's an insurrectionist under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Harvard professor Lawrence Lessig was my guest here two weeks ago. Lessig is no fan of Trump. In fact, he calls him astoundingly dangerous. But Lessig also believes that while electing Trump would be the worst political decision of the nation since the Civil War, excluding him wrongfully by a close vote of the Supreme Court could well trigger the next Civil War. Says Lessig, we must defeat him politically, not through clever lawyer interpretations of ambiguous constitutional texts. In the eyes of Trump's base and perhaps some independents, the 14th Amendment challenge only underscores what they already think about the four criminal indictments that Trump faces, namely that they're politically motivated. That's why in entrance polls, roughly two-thirds of Iowa voters said they'll stick with Trump even if he's convicted. And consider that two-thirds of caucus-goers said President Biden didn't legitimately win the 2020 election, and about seven in ten of those voters, they supported Donald Trump. And then there's Hunter Biden. Just this week, the Justice Department finally confirmed they took possession of the laptop 
you'll remember in the fall of 2020 when some of the, some of the contents of the laptop's hard drive made its way to the New York Post, President Biden and his supporters argued that it had all the makings of Russian disinformation. And social media companies suppressed or blocked access to the Post's article about it. This past Wednesday, Congressman Jim Jordan revealed that federal investigators had asked financial institutions to use search terms such as Trump and MAGA when combing over customer data in the aftermath of the January 6th Capitol riot. All of this makes his supporters furious. They see an establishment aligned against Trump, especially the media. And even where they don't read, don't rely on the outlets, they're aware of how they seem to be working in concert to defeat their candidate. The entire January-February issue of The Atlantic dedicated to warnings about if Trump wins. Countless editorials from newspapers similarly predicting the horrors of a second Trump term. An editorial in the LA Times, Trump wants to be U.S. first dictator. The New York Times, why a second Trump presidency may be more radical than his first. Rolling Stone, every awful thing Trump has promised to do in a second term. And The Atlantic, Trump wants revenge and so does his base. All of the criticism it preaches to the converted, and it causes MAGA to close ranks around their candidate, even when his statements are outrageous and playing on racist tropes. Consider the way that his comment that illegal migrants are poisoning the blood of the nation, it's been shown on a loop. But GOP primary voters, they like what they heard. 81% of them, they agree with Trump. And immigration and the economy were also the biggest issues for Iowa caucus goers, with over a third naming each as their most important issue in their vote. These were both reasons why J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon gave Trump props this week in Davos. When people say MAGA, they're actually looking at people voting for Trump and they think they're voting and they're basically scapegoating them, that you are like him. Uh, and, but I don't think they're voting for Trump because of his family values. And if you look, just take a step back, be honest. He was kind of right about NATO, kind of right about immigration. Mm -hmm. He grew the economy quite well. He wasn't wrong about some of these critical issues. And that's why they're voting for him. And, and I think people should be a little more respectful of our fellow citizens. I think this, this negative talk about MAGA is going to hurt Biden's election campaign. Diamond makes the point that if there's not more respect toward the 74 million of our fellow citizens who voted for Donald Trump, it could end up hurting Biden, just as it did Hillary Clinton when she said half of Donald Trump's supporters belong in a basket of deplorables. This week on my SiriusXM radio program, a caller seemed to embody exactly what Jamie Dimon was discussing. We can't possibly have Trump run again. I would never vote for him. And I must have said it five times preceding the Iowa caucuses. And then the next day, you hear that they didn't carry a speech. And I go, maybe I will vote for him. Just if nothing else, just to stick it in Rachel's face going, you're not going to decide what I'm going to do. Here's the bottom line. Donald Trump doesn't need to motivate his base. His opponents are doing that for him. How should the media cover the former president who is now the leading Republican candidate? I think they should, thank you. Good morning, Michael. How are you? I think we should cover him as we've covered every other candidate. Now, I get the, the hesitation that many media outlets have when you have this unreliable narrator, to put it charitably, whose rhetoric is inflammatory and threatens to shred the fabric of the democracy, you're reluctant to give that individual a platform. 
but um, he is the presumptive standard bearer of the Republican Party. And we have an obligation to, to cover that party and those views. We have an obligation to preserve what's happening for posterity. And we can't abdicate that responsibility just because, because we find an individual or their views odious. So let me take the side of those media outlets and other institutional forces. They would say, Dean, wait a minute, he's an existential threat to democracy. How could we not constantly remind our audiences of that fact? I'm not saying they shouldn't remind their audiences of that fact. I think uh, placing his rhetoric in context, um, examining it, putting it under a, a microscope is exactly what we want to do. But shutting it out, saying it doesn't exist, pretending that those views are so horrible that we can't, um, we can't air them, I think it really does, uh, it really is an abdication of our, our responsibility to show both the viewers who agree with the, the MSC, MSNBC viewers who agree, um, as well as the, the Trump voters, what's going on. We need to preserve that record. And, and Dean Whitaker, as I said in my opening commentary, if you carry it to its logical conclusion, if he should win the nomination, okay, here comes the Republican National Convention in Milwaukee. How do you cover it? You know, what do you do? You're covering Correct. it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but not the night that he makes an acceptance speech. And then fast forward, if... If he should win the presidency, now it's inauguration day. You know, now what? Right. Correct. Um, and as you said, that's just fueling the antipathy of the individuals on his in his base who think that these institutions are against him and by proxy against them as well. Um, we we have to figure out a way to to cover this again, to examine it, to put place it under a microscope, to help people and place Trump and his views in context, um, but we can't put our head in the sand and pretend it doesn't exist, or again, say that it's too awful for us to, to air. Do you think that, that some of the, the, the difficulty that the media is having in coming to terms with how to handle Trump is born of a belief that in 2016, he was given too much free airtime and the mindset is Absolutely. one of, well, we don't, want to do, we don't want to do that again. So now it's as if they're going completely in the opposite direction. Correct. The pendulum has swung in exactly the opposite direction. I think media outlets in 2016 were fascinated by Trump. They didn't think he was a serious candidate. They didn't think there was any uh, way possible that he would win. And so he was covered as a curiosity, not as uh, someone who ultimately would ascend to the highest office to uh, send to the highest office in the land. Um, now they feel they've learned that mistake and they're pulling back, but they're pulling back too much. Um, again, he is, as, we, as I said, the presumptive standard bearer of the Republican Party. He has to be covered as you would cover any other serious candidate for this office.